0: welcome to the see me be me podcast i'm now henry and i'm blair henry and we're two brothers who set out on a mission to make motorsport and stem careers more diverse
1: affordable and inclusive we are the founders of the blair project this podcast series delves into the minds of inspirational individuals who come from ordinary and often humble backgrounds but through their belief dogged determination, and never give up attitude, have managed to overcome academic, social, or mental challenges to achieve their dream careers. Our guests will share their life lessons that you too can apply
0: to your own. We hope their stories will inspire you to go further, aim higher, and accept nothing less than you deserve. Your ambition, your purpose is all within, and we're here to help you unlock it. The planet of possibilities, are endless hello and welcome to the see me be me podcast today we are joined by a very special guest and a familiar face to the blair Project and to me and blair today we have amara and frederick uh who happens to be uh our brother um but has got an amazing background so welcome to the podcast tomorrow.
2: Oh, thank you very much, Niall, and, and obviously, you know, it's great to finally get the opportunity to appear on it. I, I mean, I've been sat quietly waiting for for the invitation, and, and you know what? I'm unashamed to say that I had to give the nudge and a prompt to say, "How come i have not invited yet?" So, no, great, great to finally get on here.
0: But we made it happen at the end of the day. You're finally on.
2: It might have took yeah. a long
0: while. But Better late than on.
2: never is how the cliche goes, right?
0: No, no, no. <laughs> So, Maren, can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself, your background, and, and what is it that you actually do?
2: Yeah, sure thing, yeah. So, um, I'll probably start off with what I do now, uh, and then I'll probably just cover kind of my background and how I got here very briefly. So, um, at, the, at this moment in time, my title is a Lending Director. Um, and I work for a new startup SME bank. Um, so effectively what, what my role is, is I look for and, and source opportunities with SME businesses who are, are looking for funding to for their expansion and growth. Um, so typically that'll be around purchasing new trading premises, uh, maybe to go and acquire another business or anything that's geared up towards the future growth of the company.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, my role is effectively liaising with that company putting together the financial analysis, structuring a transaction that works for the bank and also uh, the business. Um, and then obviously seeing, taking that right through the process to the point where funds land in the customer's account. I'll touch on to the background so, now. Yeah,
0: yeah, touch on to the background. How did you end up working in the banking sector?
2: Yeah, so if if, if I'm gonna be really honest, it, it kind of happened by chance really. You know, I I went to university, um, finished university, At that point in my life, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, if I'm going to be quite honest with you. And it just so happened. And I'll always remember the day that I heard there was an advert on one of the radio stations I was listening to. uh, And it it was for uh, one of the larger banks, um, not only in the UK, but um, globally. Uh, They happened to be opening a growth centre up in Manchester, which is where I'm from. And, and we're looking for people to join the business. And it was very much geared towards young people. And basically, they were willing to train people up and, and give them the requisite skills to operate within the finance industry. Yeah. Um, so if I'm going to be honest, it was something that I kind of took a punt on. I was lucky. I was lucky enough to be invited for an interview. What was really nice about that process, actually, was that I didn't actually get the the job that I initially applied for. So I went through the interview. The interview went really well. um, But the feedback I got was that, you know, I came across really well, but they just had some concerns in terms of whether that role was the kind of best fit for me. Um, And, you know, at the time when you get those kind of calls, you always kind of think, oh, well, that's just them kind of letting you down gently and nicely. right? Mm. Um, But they did make a point of saying that, you know, they'd keep my name on on the roster and and let me know if any kind of appropriate opportunities came up. And true to the words, two two weeks later, um, I was invited back for another interview for a role which they felt much, much uh, well fitted my fitted my profile much better. Yeah. I had a fantastic second interview with with what was then the hiring manager, and was lucky enough to kind of get in at that time. And as I say, that that for me was really, I suppose, gave me the foundation. Um, both from a perspective of giving me an insight into financial services and, and and operating within the sector, um, and also great from a development perspective in that, you know, it, it was three years whereby I kind of started with, a, let's say, a, a knowledge base of zero and really allowed me to kind of build on that on that knowledge base and I think for me the best takeaway I probably took from that period was that it actually made me aware that I do actually have a genuine interest in, and somewhat of a passion for financial services in this financial services industry I think the most imp- one of the most empowering things was and I'm sure we've all done it where we've watched the news and, and we've kind of seen the finance section and and to talk about all this great terminology and what's going on with the economy and interest rates etc and it was great to actually have a job which actually allowed me to kind of piece all that information together and actually understand exactly what they're talking about, um, and as I say, that that really kind of opened the door to financial services for me and, and really piqued my interest. Um, and then since then, really, I, I've kind of just navigated my way through the industry. So um, I always had an aspiration to to ultimately ultimately be a relationship director. And a relationship director basically manages a portfolio of of the bank's clients, uh, business clients, and effectively is the face of the bank to, to that portfolio of clients. Yeah. Yeah. So that was all my, always my career aspiration. So, as I say that that first initial job kind of set me off on on that on that career path.
1: And what were some of the key challenges you faced um going into career within
2: banking alarm? Good question. um. As I say, the, the initial challenge, I suppose, is like anything when you when you're kind of starting out on a journey. And, and as I said before, I kind of had a, a knowledge base of let's say zero. So I think initially it was kind of building up that knowledge base, understanding all the terminology and, and and all the things that you kind of have to have to consider when working within the financial services industry. I say a challenge, but maybe also a benefit in some sense as well, in terms of so I suppose as I say, I, I had the career aspiration to be a relationship director and I suppose a benefit or or one of the advantages is that it's it's quite a linear career path so you kind of have natural steps that it, or next roles which you needed to kind of do to then ultimately be a relationship director so I suppose yeah. that was a benefit in terms of you know I had a very defined path which I knew I'd need to take in order to kind of achieve that aspiration um, but I suppose the main challenge was just trying to get to that level and, and naturally you know I mean I think it goes without saying in yeah. terms of you know I, I think traditionally within my industry and and stuff you know I, I suppose it's, it's not one whereby you know you might necessarily associate ethnic minorities with operating within the finance services industry and yeah. I know there were certain times where I reflected within my career whereby, you know, you kind of take a step back and and I thought to myself, like, well, how many people look like me? that mm-hmm. look like me are doing the job that I want to do right and and to be fair I, I do remember it and and at this point I, I did work in in one of the top four kind of UK banks um, and at this point in time I do remember looking around and I think there was only two people that kind of looked like me and were doing the job which I ultimately aspired to do yeah, um, yeah. so so naturally when you're kind of in that scenario I consider myself a really bullish and confident person but naturally you know what there, there is always an element of self-doubt just in, in terms of, right. well, do people that look like me actually do these roles? Yeah, <laughs> do you know what yeah. I mean? And, and and win these jobs. One of the things I always like to do in, in those kind of scenarios, I, I always kind of like to use challenges as a, as a motivating factor. So whilst I didn't look round, and well, whilst I looked around and didn't see many, too many people that looked like me doing the job, I wanted to kind of almost be that trailblazer and, and someone that kind of broke the mould. Um, so, yeah, so whilst that was a challenge, I very much kind of used it to motivate myself and, and really drive. Um, and if nothing else, it really kind of cemented that ambition. That I had to actually get, get to that position and do the role.
0: Very, very, very interested in what you've just said because you know your your journey quite matches the similar path journey that me and Blair have been on. Let's say with engineering, uh, it's not the most diverse industry, and you know me, my, me and Blair have had to stick our our necks out almost to just to mm-hmm. say that you know what this is an industry that you know black and Asian young people, even older generation, can get involved in. Uh, and, you know, we are the role models uh, to inspire that next generation to come through in the industry. And that's just what you've just said is what you're doing within banking. You didn't see too many people around you that look like you. And you said, you know what, I'm going to be the trailblazer. I'm going to be the role model so that the people next coming through can see somebody like yourself and then think, wow, if Maureen can do it, I can do it too. And the, an interesting thing that you did say is that, you know, within the first, I think it was the first year or two, you'd said that, you know what, my goal is to be a relationship director. And when it comes to goals and motivation, where did that stem from? I, I've always known you as a, a driven, ambitious dude, but where, where do you think that actually came from?
2: You know, and, and I'm happy to be really honest, if I'm going to be honest. I mean, I think some of it was probably tinged with a little bit of ego, generally speaking, and and in the kind of, you know what, uh, kind of line of business that I've worked in within banking um relationship director is probably seen as being one of the kind of t- top and, and maybe most prestigious roles because I mean if you think about it the, the bank is is kind of invested in yourself and, and willing to put you forward as as being one of their faces to the external market and again a little bit of that was probably also just driven by kind of things that I'd seen in in films and movies and stuff as well you, you know we, there's probably that perception of you know a kind of a a banker who is just out there kind of smoozing, whining, and dining and, and engaging with clients, and, and I suppose probably living living the good life, so to speak. So, I, and I think yeah. that might have been the uh, perception that I had from the outside looking in. I mean, I think the reality is once you're in the hole, is that you know what, <laughs> there's not as much of that as you might expect. Uh, yeah. and things certainly the change, uh, change obviously post the kind of financial financial crash of 2007 and 2008. Um, but yeah, so a lot of it was just driven by the fact that you know, I obviously wanted to kind of as, as we've said and as i've said that you know i've always been an ambitious individual and really wanted to climb to what i saw as kind of being the top of the tree yeah. um yeah and some of it just driven by you know f- films like famous banking films like wall street and, and then later maybe wolf of wall street and and yeah. the big short and other kind of ones and i always just really wanted to kind of be fully invested in banking right so be that guy that's doing banking deals that is able to kind of spout all that terminology, which we've all seen on news reports and films and stuff, and probably wondered about right, what, what yeah. does that actually mean. I always wanted to be that guy, um, cool. so I think that was what really was the main the main <laughs> driver behind me identifying relationship director of being that role, which I wanted to uh, wanted to get. And um,
1: Moran, just going um, through from the beginning of your career within uh, banking, you were mentioning that there's not many people from like diverse backgrounds, particularly like black backgrounds. Um, going into careers, uh, particularly in finance. So when you were getting started, uh, did you have a, a mentor or a coach who was guiding you on your way up the the ladder, in the corporate banking ladder?
2: Yeah, so um, absolutely. So I think, um, and and for me, I kind of think, you know, for anyone who who kind of really does have serious aspirations around wanting to do something, for me, I'm a big advocate of having mentors. So interestingly enough, I, I kind of approached it, or my approach to to getting a mentor I did evolve over a couple of years. Yeah. Um so initially when I kind of started out on my banking journey, I was in Manchester and then I, I then went to, to London for a period and and I genuinely think that anyone who, who is serious about finance and financial services, there's no getting away from the fact that you know London is is, is a massive global hub of uh, well, finance. Yeah. Um, so I spent a couple of years down there and whilst I was down there and as I say I, I kind of had that clear career goal. Um I very much did proactively seek out mentors which i felt could help and guide me along that journey yeah now on reflection where i, I suppose where i probably i wouldn't necessarily say went wrong but where i kind of amended my approach because whilst whilst i was in london i actually had um some really senior kind of senior mentors and when i say senior i'm talking like the md of the whole kind of global multinational business yeah um, the head of our global corporates africa business as well um And whilst that was great from a, let's say, almost a a personal PR perspective in terms of like getting my names on on these guys' radar and them knowing who I am and what I aspire to be, um, one of the things that I became aware of, maybe a year into having a a mental relationship with them, is I suppose they were maybe that far removed from the day-to-day kind of what the role I want to do it entails and and kind of what is actually going on at let's say what we call it on the front line that I realized whilst it was great to to have them and be able to kind of lean on them for advice etc I found that the advice was maybe a little bit more generic in terms of right well overall this is what you what you had to do but I probably didn't come out of those sessions with any kind of clear actions or clear kind of path I suppose And, and, and and again maybe that was also down to myself in terms of you know what being new to a whole mentor relationship and and maybe not driving it as proact- those sessions as proactively as I, as I might have done. However, I then came back to uh, move back up to Manchester. Um, and as I say, I'd spent what close to five years in London, you, you form working relationships with people, you know, and, and obviously all of my all of the people that knew what I was about and how I work were based in London. So coming up to Manchester, it was then a case of, you know, working with a home new network of internal network of of people Um, and I very quickly realised that right well you know firstly I need to kind of again get my name on people's radars up in Manchester but also actually what I wanted to do was get a mentor that was actually doing the job that I aspired to do so who was actually a relationship director yeah. So when I came up to Manchester, I actually kind of then in my mind actually kind of came up with what I think is a really good kind of differentiation in terms of the type of mentors that I had. So I've always typically had two mentors. And, and when I came to Manchester, again, I had two mentors, but one was the MD of, of the whole business up in the Northwest, which again, kind of fitted the mold of the mentors, which I had in London previously. And then I had another mentor, which was actually a relationship director. So who was actually doing the role that I aspired to do now. The way I differentiate between the two now is that the mentor which was the MD of the business I kind of saw him more as a career sponsor stroke career advocate so someone who absolutely bought into myself and and could effectively vouch for me right so anytime I was going for a role or or a promotion or whatever I had this person who could vouch me to say that look they've been working with me on kind of personal development for a year and could absolutely vouch that you know what I'm a person with the right attitude and and the capacity to learn new skills etc whereas with my actual mentor who was a relationship director and Um, They were more, that was more a relationship whereby, you know what, I was very much looking to kind of tread the path that they had already uh, trodden. So it was a case of, right, well, you want to be a relationship director. Here's what I had to do on my journey. Here's the skills that you're going to need to develop in order to be a relationship director. And here's how I see you doing those. Um, And I think the difference in approach that I took to both those two mentors was actually I realized that. In a mentor-mentee relationship, I think the onus is on the mentee, right? So actually proactively drive those sessions and get out of yeah. it what you, want, what you want to achieve. So one of the things that I came up with was um, kind of a self-assessment skills audit. So it was a case of looking at, right, well, in terms of the skill levels or the skills that I need to be a relationship director, where yeah. am I in, in a scale of one to five? So I kind of did that self-assessment then. Oh. And then really the purpose of my sessions then was, right, well, how do we move, anything that you lay maybe a one or a two on, how do we move that to a four or a five, right? To give you the best chance of them being a relationship director. Um, and I found just kind of having that approach and every session we kind of had clear, clear actions, um, clear things that I was going to go away and do. We had a timeline in place. So all the actions was going to be done by the next session, which again, we kept in the diary regularly for every six weeks. And I just found that whole process was really useful for one, allowing me to develop those skills that I really needed to and, you know, you know, when you're a lot younger and, and you're really kind of thirsty and ambitious, you always kind of are eager and just want to get into that role now, right? yeah. And you kind of think, no, I can do this and someone just gives me the chance. It's only now that when I have done the roles and, and done them for subsequent uh, or subsequently for a number of years, when I look back and reflect, I think all the advice that I was given at that time was mm. absolutely right. And the reality is yeah. is that I didn't have the skill set at the time and I absolutely needed to develop them. And I'm always thankful for having been on that development journey because it just allowed me to actually succeed I kind of got into the roles that I aspired to do Um, and I I do genuinely think it would have been a massive challenge if I hadn't developed that skill set.
0: So Maureen, two questions one related to your current role right now for the audience listening at home what three unique skills uh, must you have to be able to be successful at being a lending director right now?
2: Yeah so I think look I mean I think it goes without saying that you know I suppose there's a there's a technical aspect to my roles in terms of doing financial and credit analysis so yeah. yeah, naturally you do have to kind of understand or be able to pick up a, a set of accounts, business accounts, and be able to kind of go through them, understand what's going on with those accounts, then understand what does that tell you about the business how it operates and the journey to date because i always remember and again as part of my development journey one piece of advice i was given is that you know what um the financial accounts will always tell you a story about the business yeah and my job is effectively really to match up the story that the accounts are telling me with the story that the the business owner is telling me as well right um because in most cases the story that a business owner tells you you should be able to then see in the accounts right because because the numbers tell the story so yeah. there is that so number one i would say the, te- the te- technical skills and around financial analysis number two um a lot of my role is is networking being comfortable engaging with people um, and yeah and you know and I, and I think sometimes and, and I do like to think that that's probably one of my strengths and and I think sometimes when that kind of skill is your strength you maybe don't value it as much and almost kind of just take it as as something that you know everyone can do and actually it's not a skill but I absolutely do think it is and as I say I think that's one of my strengths and to give you a bit of context in my type of role I will be out at networking events or business events you know you're meeting business owners and as we're all aware you know there's a number of banks in the market there's a number of funders as well I mean on the last set of research I've seen, I think there's about 250 kind of funders in the UK market, right? So all looking for opportunities, all looking to fund businesses. So I suppose one of my strengths and one of the key skills I think you need is actually being able to kind of build that, not an instant rapport, but be able to build a rapport with someone that you've met for the yeah. first time and build that rapport relatively quickly, right? so I think that's probably the second key skill and I think the third one that I I was saying and I I think this is probably true of the majority of industries and the majority of jobs that people go into is is resilience Um, because I think you know what the reality is is that you're not going to win every deal that that you look to do Um, a lot of the time you'll do a lot of the work around the financial analysis and and doing your uh, application paper and all that kind of thing and sometimes you you don't get the approval that you're looking for and sometimes you kind of you sit back and think well no i think this is a really good deal but ultimately someone else doesn't uh mm-hmm. okay you have to take that on the chin sometimes you'll get an approval and, and, and ultimately you know the the potential customer or client gets a better offer from another bank or another funder and therefore you don't lose the deal again having had to do a lot of the, the work up for for no gain um, and sometimes it's just a case of, you know what, it can be a really challenging role, I mean, I know for a fact yourselves as you described now before we opened that you were working up until, well working through the night in order to meet a deadline and the same is true of my role, right, so right. sometimes you'll get Periods whereby you know what you will be working like literally a whole day from 9 a.m. you know for right through to maybe 10, 11, 12 at night. um So it's very much not one of these roles that starts at nine, finishes at five, yeah. and this is what I do. And if it doesn't fit within my role profile, so you have to speak to someone else. It's my job to get things done right. So whether whether that means, as I say, yeah, working through the night, whether that means actually having to learn something new that actually doesn't sit within my my role profile, but actually if I want to get a deal done, then I'm going to need to kind of you know provide a view on this so um, I think you know what you do need an element of resilience you know to kind of you know operate like that I mean I do remember it was only a couple of weeks ago where I, literally I was working on a deal and um, I got a call from the customer maybe about nine o'clock at night where something something had changed from the deal but the deal this was on the Thursday and the deal needed to be completed on the Friday and I remember I, I had to phone one of my colleagues um, literally this was about 11 o'clock at night and just say look I'm really sorry for calling you so late but I need to kind of get a handle on this because we need this yeah. deal to complete the next day, and, and suffice to say, we did it. We got it all completed, and and I mean, even the customer kind of thought. You know, the customer actually made a point of saying to me, I actually thought I was going to get a phone call off you at five o'clock on the, on the Friday to say, really sorry, it's not been done. Uh, but suffice to say, we got it done, and it exceeded expectations. And again, that was just wow. from one, hand, having that resilience, and two, just that that you know that mindset in terms of what this needs to get done, and I don't want to get it done. So let's get it done. Hmm. Do you know what I mean?
0: No, brilliant. And I absolutely love that. And, you know, it's been one of the things that a lot of our guests have spoke about on the podcast that you do need resilience uh, in any any sort of career. It's that whole thing of, you know, never giving up, you know, just because you got knocked back at the first hurdle doesn't mean you'll get knocked back at the second hurdle and just keep going uh, because you will get there uh, eventually
2: absolutely because i think a lot of the time and sometimes i even do it myself you know when you, you kind of come across people who are successful and you kind yeah. of think wow wouldn't it be great to be in that position and i want to do that xyz but what people don't always appreciate or or have a window into is actually the challenges and, and the knockbacks that they've probably faced on that journey to get where they are now today right mm-hmm. um so i think everyone's journey you have challenges and you get knockbacks and I think it's just about not letting those become a barrier to your success
0: yeah absolutely and Maren I I want to kind of take take it back a bit and go back to the early childhood because obviously we grew up with you we had a really great childhood I mean most of the time it was you it was spent you uh doing wrestling moves on us on on, on the (laughs) choke slams rock bottoms all that we used to be big (laughs) WWF fans in the household. I
2: think that's where I built your resilience. I think. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. And, and I came back fighting stronger. Um, but what, what most people don't know is that you came from a sporting background and you made it to an academy of one of the, well, they were a Premier League club. Uh, up until last season so do you want to do you want to tell our audience a bit about your background growing up in the football days
2: yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, that's probably that's probably really succinct, actually, because obviously off the back of our conversation around resilience, because I do think it was my time spent at the academy, which really kind of, you know, built my resilience. So, yeah. F- so for the wider audience. So I was on the uh, books at, at Leeds United. Um, this is many years ago now, and I'm not going to say how many years ago, but as you said, mm-hmm. it was when they were a high flying Premier Premier League team. Um, so I say was, I was lucky enough to be invited to sign for Leeds United and, and as part of me signing I actually moved to um, their kind of accommodation up in Leeds at the age of 13. Um, so that as you can imagine that involved leaving home and um, going mm-hmm. to stay in, in what they call a digs but it's, it's effectively akin to like a hall a student hall of residence right whereby that was myself and what Ten other guys, ten other guys who all played for Leeds, and you know we went to school during the daytime, trained in the evening, and, and we had. Um I'm trying to think of the right terminology basically it was almost like a, a living surrogate mum right so we had a woman and, and her name was Catherine and she used to basically do our washing and, and and cook the food but then we had to do everything else right so that's ironing your clothes making your bed mm. all that stuff that at the age of 13 you just have no 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 you know what no uh, you just never contemplate that these are the things that you have to do in in, in real life and I say so kind of touching back on that resilience piece because Fundamentally, I, I mean, I had a really great time there. You know, living with like nine other lads, all, all around about my age. I, I mean, wow. you can probably imagine all the kind of stuff that went on and the camaraderie yeah. that we built up, and and just the fun that we had. But whilst these people became great friends, and and you know what, and, and continue to be great friends, the reality is is that we were all competing against each other, all had aspirations to to want to get into the first team, and, yeah. and and naturally, you understand that you know there's only ever so many. Uh, positions in a team and and the percentages of people that actually make it uh, in football are, are really low so it wasn't lost on us in terms of right, well we are all friends but we are all competing as well and, and I think as I say going back to that kind of how it helped me to build resilience because I mean one there is that there was that living away from home at a really early age so you know yeah. what you, you've you naturally not got that proximity to your family as you would ordinarily have or through living at home um, I think with football as well it's it's one of those sports whereby when you're in form and you're playing well it, it's great and it's fantastic and you feel on top of the world conversely when when you know that you're not playing well and, and you just can't find that form it, it can be like a really lonely place to be um, again especially when you are living on your own and, and you're living with other lads who, who again some of them might be in great form and, and you know what literally kind of taking your shine so to speak yeah. um, so there was that and then I mean, I suppose ultimately I got let go at the age of 16. And, and again, naturally, there was a big element of the disappointment in that because I suppose for the four years prior to that, I always kind of you know, envisioned myself as, as ultimately being a footballer and never really looked at anything past that. When when I was released, it was a case of I kind of then moved back home and it was almost like coming back to reality, so to speak, because yeah. when I reflect on it, I'd probably been living in a bubble for, for three or four years whereby, as I say, the reality is, is that everything was taken care of for. You, you had a bus which picked you up in the morning took you to school and brought you back to the training ground we then had a tutor who, who helped us with our homework we then were then training all of our meals were cooked and prepared we even got a little bit of spending money as, as well so, so do you know what I mean so literally everything in life that a normal person might might have to consider and, and factor into their lives we didn't but then I had to then kind of come back and, and kind of reintegrate into what I'd call normal life but as I say I mean I think as part of that journey I mean yeah there, there's naturally as I said there were disappointments along that journey but I thing that we did really build up that resilience and just build up that mindset of being able to take disappointments yeah. not getting hung up hung up on them and then and then literally moving on to the next thing and, and picking yourself up dusting yourself off and, and going again now
1: that we're on the topic of um, you growing up Maren, um who would you say some of your biggest role models were growing
2: up Good question. So I think from a, from a footballing perspective and, and at the time it was Rio Ferdinand. Um because I, I I was a I was a defender when I was at Leeds and, and, and Rio joined funny enough, joined Leeds United as well. Um and at the time he was probably held up as being probably the best defender at um yeah. In the UK at the time. Um, I always just really enjoyed the fact that he was a great defender, but he was also good on the on the ball as well, which at that time a lot of kind of defenders were kind of, you know, the old traditional kind of head it, kick it, get it up field kind of uh, centre backs, whereas Rio was one of the first ones that could actually play with the ball and, and and was really good. Um so I always kind of had Rio Ferdinand as a as a role model. And then there was also Will Smith as well, which, mm-hmm. which I know at this point of time, might, might sound a bit controversial mm-hmm. to say, but but there was a point, there was a point in time when when Will Smith was kind of, what I kind of view as being a, a really well-rounded role model, because um, mm-hmm. I always remember when I was growing up, um, a lot of kind of black role models at the time were kind of you know either either af- athletes or musicians really, and and, yeah. and some being actors. Um, And the thing that I really enjoyed about Will Smith is that for me, he always kind of broke the role in terms of, or broke the mold, sorry, in terms of being. Um, so a lot of music and, and music artists, it would be rap or R&B and, and we all know they all contain profanities and, and swear words and, and what you say is coarse language, whereas Will Smith and a lot of his music and stuff, he never used to use swear words, they're so generally always kind of about a positive theme and stuff, which which I really liked at the time. And, and I think the same is probably true about his acting, right, from kind of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which I'm sure literally probably 90% of, of, of the population know the theme song to Fresh yeah. Prince of Bel-Air, right? Um, and and then late, later when I think I went on to do movies and films but they were all kind of generally a kind of about, about positive things or just generally kind of mainstream stuff so yeah, I always yeah. kind of enjoyed having uh, Will Smith as a role model as well
1: uh, and just bringing it back to um, where you are today as a lending um, director because you, you um, work with SMEs with uh, funding for growth and uh, expansion but what would you say are some of the key challenges for small and medium enterprises to grow and innovate?
2: Yeah, so I think firstly, um, is maybe just understanding the market for finance in terms of, I think a lot of people's maybe first point of call is 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 their existing bank and then maybe the other traditional kind of high, sh- four or five high street banks, which, yeah. which I suppose a, is a natural assumption, right? Because a lot of people think, right, well, I want to lend money, I go to a bank. But actually there is a whole kind of market of what we call maybe second tier funders who some of which are are smaller banks some of which are literally just organizations which are set up to lend money and so i think you know just the understanding of the market of recognizing right well there are loads of different funders in the market all of them have slightly different risk appetites um, and just because a bank has said no doesn't mean that you're not a fundable proposition right you just have to find the right person to fund you right and I think secondly I'm probably off the back of that it's probably just the terminology and and uh, language that we use in banking right so I think one of the challenges and I suppose one of one of the roles that I play right when I meet business owners in terms of what I find about uh, especially SME business owners is that you know what are very good at telling you the journey they've been on are generally really good at articulating what their business does um and, and and to a certain extent telling you actually well the funding that they need okay whereas in banking and in finance there's a certain language that we use right so i suppose my role and i suppose it's a challenge that SMEs faces by right, actually translating what they need and, and what's going on with their business into language which finance individuals and, and bankers will actually understand and then can actually use to kind of get a funding proposition away. And, wow. and, and you might you might think that that's probably a, a simple thing to do or, or something that everyone should be capable of in terms of yeah. articulating, right, well, I need this money for X and Y. But as I said, there is just a certain language, certain terminology which we use in banking, which you need to kind of frame in the right way. And I think that's probably a challenge that faces a lot of SME business owners is just translating what they need into a language which a funder can can buy into.
1: As a lending director, tomorrow, what does an average day look like for you? What does the average day for Amara and Frederick look like?
2: I always like to think that, you know, as a lending director, there's probably three points on, on, on a circular cycle, right, in terms of you'll have a point whereby you're trying to get new deals that you're working on approved through your approval process yeah the second point is trying to get those deals what you which have already got approved kind of through the completion process i.e getting all the legal due diligence done and getting to the point whereby you can actually lend the money to the customer right i.e put the money in the customer's account yeah and then the third point in the cycle is actually business development i.e Going out there and looking to win new business, looking for new deals, which you can then take through that approval process and then back through the completion process, and then you're back to looking for new deals, et cetera. So that my my day-to-day probably spans all three of those aspects. Um, so typically um, my day will normally always start with I'll probably have a couple of new deals on desk which I need to review. And, and if I think there's it's something that we would look to fund, then put together yeah. a proposal around that that's generally kind of what the start of my day looks like once we move on to the middle of the day it will probably be a case of you know what doing work on some deals which have already got approved and and that might be liaising with solicitors to kind of around certain aspects of the deal and so making sure that everything kind of everything is as it should be some of it might be also working with external parties as well in terms of if there's a property which we're gonna lend against, getting someone to do that valuation, reviewing the valuation, making sure that we're comfortable with the premises and the property which we're lending against. And as I said, there's then I suppose the end of my day is maybe around more around business development. So that's around liaising with people in my network, making sure so, making sure that you stay close to people as well. Cause um a good well, a good portion of my network is what we call kind of finance brokers. So there are guys that really and truly are actually just fully focused on business development right so again like me they're going out there um looking for business owners looking for for deal opportunities i suppose where their role differs slightly to mine is that for brokers they will actually put together a a funding proposal and then we'll bring it to a number of funders like myself and say right i've got this potential deal is this something yeah. that you'd be interested in wow. so naturally having having that relationship with brokers you always want to make sure that you're probably one of the first people they think of, right, whenever they get opportunities. Because as I said, there's something like 250 funders in the UK market, right? So naturally, for the good brokers, I want to be one of maybe the top three people that they think of, right? So how do you do that? A lot of that is is just through ongoing engagement, right? Because I suppose anyone can meet someone once, you can swap business cards with people, and then they've got your business card, and then you sit and hope that they think about you. Whereas for me, I want to be that person that, When they think, oh, I've got this deal. Oh, yeah. Let me see if I'm going to be interested in that. Why? Because we speak regularly. I tell them about deals that I've done, deals that I'm doing to let them know that I'm active in the market and I am doing deals. And if you bring me something that is for us, then we will get the deal done. So, yeah, so probably say that's generally the kind of three prongs to my to my average day.
0: Mara, I've got I've got two questions. How important do you believe that everybody should learn financial literacy? And then the second one, let's say a, a, we've got a driven college student. He or she is about to finish their A-levels or B-tech. Or there's a, a university graduate looking to seek their first job. You know, what advice would you give to that driven individual? And what advice do you believe that they should ignore?
2: So in terms of the first question about financial literacy, um, Absolutely. I mean, I'm a a massive advocate of of financial literacy. And and as I alluded to, I mean, I think that was one of the most empowering things I found about working within the financial services industry is just that it has made me financially literate. Um, And and that's both in my kind of professional capacity within my job, but also in a personal capacity as well, right? Uh, Understanding the dynamics between interest rates and and the economy and and, and what all those potential impacts could have. To be honest... I think that was one of the the things that really kind of gave me a passion for financial services and and the whole industry, and that, look, everyone works with money in their life, right? Whether it's a case of you get you you get a salary from your employment, from your job and you, you budget how to make that salary last through the month you decide what you're gonna spend money on what you're gonna invest in whether it's buy a buy a house buy a car whatever it is but whether people recognize it or not finance plays a massive part in people's life right understanding being yeah. able to manage cash i think is one of those key life skills that you know what people need to have um and, and that comes in many guises right so how, how do you upskill yourself to be financially literate? I mean, I think with things like social media and YouTube now, there's there's a massive library of stuff out there which people can be proactive and use. Yeah. Um, like, likewise, there's 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 a number of courses as well and, and, and books as well traditional books as well I mean I always try and make a point of you know at least reading two books a year um, around finance and not necessarily just kind of, of financial analysis textbooks but it might be anything it might be someone's journey um, through yeah. investments or, or or whatever the case may be um, and then one of the ways that I really um, kind of Upskilled, or maybe tested my learning was just around watching the finance segments on, on news bulletins and and you know what and some of the big kind of you know what kind of news channels as well um if nothing else just to kind of get used to hearing how terminology is used where it's used kind of you know what in the context that it's used in uh, i i found that as a really good parameter for myself to so move on to your second question then in terms of someone that's either kind of leaving school college or or university and, and that would be interested in getting in financial or job in financial services. Um, I mean, I think one of the really good mechanisms that I, I've kind of seen firsthand is, is doing internships. Um, so I know at, at places where I've worked previously, we used to kind of have a, an internship program whereby during like the, typically like the summer months, maybe on, on, on the school and the, uh, university holidays, whereby we, we would get a raft of uh, interns in. Um, I think the benefits of that is twofold. Um, I think yeah. one, from from that person's perspective, it gives them a really good kind of initial insight into what does working within financial services actually look like. Um, as I alluded to at the start, I mean, I always had this perception of wanting to be a banker and a relationship director and kind of saw it as a, a sleek and, and sexy type role, which you kind of think, oh, I'll be out there all day kind of, you know, having business lunches, dinners and and this kind of the thing, which I suppose there is an element off in business development but actually you know what that's probably 10% of the role the other 90% of the role is kind of you know what at the laptop doing financial analysis writing reports writing papers all that kind of thing so there's a certainly a a, that element to it and I think from the Bank's perspective, and and I've seen this work really well in terms of for interns that come in and do a really good role, um, you know what, it gives the bank one first access to that talent. um, And and I've seen loads of interns subsequently offered permanent jobs. um, And those permanent jobs haven't necessarily been, oh, yeah, come and start tomorrow those permanent jobs have sometimes been right well when you complete your studies in a year's time or whatever it may be we would love to have you on board um, so we're going to keep your name in a list of preferred candidates and and if it's something that appeals to you then 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 come and take the job and I remember when I started out at one of the banks I worked for I started out with someone who had been through that exact journey whereby they had actually done an internship with thought of really highly um, and then they actually took the decision that they didn't want to subsequently go to university they actually wanted to join the bank and, and work their way up the career ladder i think i've seen that work really well and i think if nothing else in terms of advice that i could give anyone that wanted to kind of go on that career journey and, and it's something that i had to learn myself as well when i've been trying to get promotions and applying for various jobs within within the banks that i've worked for is i can't emphasize enough that whole the whole piece around networking and engagement especially within my industry and it might be true for a lot of other industries out there is that generally people buy people right yeah. so all right you can have all the skills and, and all the degrees and qualifications and everything that there is but ultimately you know what anyone that's hiring someone wants to know that one that person can do the job but two yeah. will fit into the team and actually is someone that they can work with right and, and has the right attitude and all that kind of thing and one of the things that I always do whenever i'm going for a new role whether it be internal or external i always make sure that i i book in a coffee chat or a meeting with the hiring manager outside of the whole interview process. why just so that you can have a a genuine down-to-earth talk this is about me this is what i'm about this is what i'm looking for why i want to apply for the role tell me about the type of person that you're looking for do you think i would be a good fit if not, what do you think I need to hone and develop in order to be a good fit? So I think making sure that you do engagement and, and try not to just go into interviews cold. Now, I recognise it's not always possible yeah. to do that, but where possible, I think that's definitely a benefit.
0: And um, on, on another one, on the state of the current economy with inflation and cost of living, you know, I think it was what this time last year we were at was it about ten point one in inflation and now I think we're down to about six point eight. Do you think it will ever get back to what it once was back in twenty twenty one, which I think it was at two three percent, or do you think it's probably going to be another year and a half until we're actually you know in a a much more stable position? Yeah,
2: look, really fair question, and and you know what, I'm sure there's much smarter people than me who get paid a lot more that you know what can give you a better insight than I kind of mean what what I would say is do I think we'll ever return to what what we maybe historically uh, have viewed as as normality I mean yes I, I do think we will get there I mean I think it will maybe be a, take us a little bit longer to get there than you know what then we maybe originally envisaged but I do think ultimately, we will get there, and I think a lot is that a lot of that is driven by kind of market forces and dynamics, which yeah. sometimes kind of are maybe out of balance with each other. But I think one of the fundamentals of the market is that you know what they always generally at some point will kind of you know what balance, and and you'll get to a, a an ideal point of maybe equilibrium in terms of. And it's interesting enough, I, I was having this conversation with a potential customer only last week because they were talking about we we're talking about a potential deal and, and they were saying that uh, one of the concerns they had is whether it'd be a good time to do the deal given where interest rates are, mm-hmm. et cetera. I mean, my response to them was that like, you know, ultimately I do think we're pretty close to the, the peak of interest rates now. And fundamentally, if you can make something work now, then, in, in yeah. my personal view, and again, this is my only personal view, is that you know interest rates will start to decrease um, over the next twelve, to eighteen months, and therefore, you know, if you can make something work in this environment, then as interest rates decrease, yeah. then it's only beneficial and um, an upside for yourself, right, as, as your costs of funding decrease as well. So, yeah. I think, um all right, it might be painful now, but hopefully, it will just get easier and easier and easier as we as we go into a, a more normalised interest rate environment.
0: Fingers crossed! Fingers crossed! We're we're on to the bonus section of the no, okay. podcast where we ask you three questions, three interesting questions. The, the first question that we ask our audience, I judge every single guest. Um, like I've reiterated in previous ones, if you do not give me the answer I, I ask for, we will be ending this podcast earlier and you will you <laughs> okay. won't see the remaining two
2: questions. Be gentle with me now, be gentle. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> family love family love uh, I might I might let you off so the first question Lauren. And I don't think I've ever seen you eat it eat this before but does pineapple belong on a pizza
2: does pineapple belong on a pizza absolutely 100% yes uh, what absolutely 100% yes it does uh, <laughs> you know what having pineapple pizza was one of my favorite ones growing up uh, as a kid um, and actually it's not always my go-to pizza now Look, I am a big advocate of, pine- of pineapple on a pizza, so I'm guessing I... from your face that was the wrong answer. <laughs> I, I never, saw, I never it.
0: saw you, I never saw you growing up with a, with
2: a Hawaiian pizza. Well, maybe it was, you it was, it was that before in... your time, maybe it was before your time, but no, I am an advocate <laughs> of pineapple on a pizza. No, no, it was I I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna lie, I'm gonna be completely honest. There was a period where I did go off it slightly, but I found maybe about yeah, two three years ago, I had a ham and pineapple pizza and I actually thought, oh my god, I've been missing out for all this time. So yeah, absolutely would advocate that.
0: Sacrilege, sacrilege. Oh my god. All right, that's the end. Right. <laughs> Thanks everybody. Yeah. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thank no, I'm joking. I'm joking. um You're not know I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed.
2: Hey now, listen, we've been many, to, we've been to yeah. many um, kind of or you can eat kind of meat and steak places. And you always finish with the grilled pineapple. So, you know, no, so you're no, obviously no, no. not that adverse to pineapple, although it's not on a no. pizza, yes. But.
0: <laughs> you take the pineapple off the pizza, you eat the pizza and finish with the pineapple. You do mm. not mix and combine them both. That's uh, just the, de- the devil's order. in the
2: detail, then I suppose the right? devil is in the detail.
0: <laughs> But you eat the pineapple afterwards for the digestion to help with the digestion. You don't eat it on the pizza. Oh, and that's all. Next question, right? If you could host a dinner party uh, tonight, yeah, and you had to invite four guests, dead or alive, who would you invite?
2: Oh, man. That's uh, a great question. I know
0: one's going to be two pack, I think.
2: Yeah, so I think I think it would mm-hmm. have to be yeah, Tupac Shakur would be one of them because I think growing up he he was one of my favorite artists. I want to say Diego, no, I was going to say Diego Maradona, but I think you know what, I'll probably actually change that to Cristiano Ronaldo, um, mm-hmm. just because he's yes. a bit more current, and, and I just think you know what some of the achievements he, he's had in his career, you know what it, yeah. it's almost fanciful. So I'm going to put Cristiano Ronaldo on there. Um, I'll probably have um, is it Ruth Bader Ginsburg? Um, I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she was kind of, you know, a, a civil rights activist in America and was, um, I think so, she, she uh, rose to Supreme Court judge um, and was very much an advocate of kind of women's and, and civil rights as well. But you know what, I, I watched, I remember watching her, I think it's a documentary on her life story, it might have been a film, Ooh. but you know what I mean, she had to face some real challenges and as much as we might think we face challenges as, as um, ethnic minorities, which we absolutely do, the same was true of Ruth Bader Ginsburg as well just by virtue of being a female in, in the time that she kind of grew up on was and was working. Mm-hmm. So I would have her on there as well. So I've got one series, one sport, and one music. So I think we're gonna we're gonna need someone to kind of lighten the mood a little bit and, and add a bit of comedy value as well, aren't we? So um, it will probably be Russell Peters, um, who oh, I know is, is one of your favourite comedians. Um yeah, yeah. Now, you know, and, and I think I will probably just have Russell in there, just for you know a bit of a, a bit of comedy value, and and you know what to kind of make sure we're light in the mood in case we get into any serious and some discussion. I think that might be
0: the greatest dinner party. I think no one will get <laughs> any food eaten; it'd just be bare laughs from start to finish. Yeah, maybe yeah, maybe a few I'd like to maybe so. a few deaths from heart attacks from the laughter as well. <laughs> And then
2: the last question. Yeah.
0: (laughs) And and the last question is if you could travel anywhere right now, where would you go?
2: So, right now, so I think it would be um, somewhere in South America. Um, Mm. and, And I couldn't necessarily say a particular country. I mean, as, again, growing up, be, uh, being into football and, and quite immersed in the kind of whole football ecosystem, I always kind of had a, 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 almost a, a penchant for Brazil, just by yeah. virtue of them being one of the most successful international team. And, and I don't think there's any getting away from, you know, those yellow shirts are, are pretty attractive, yeah. aren't they? They're pretty nice. So I'd probably say um, out of anywhere, be South America and if I had to pick a country, I'd be Brazil. Purely because, you know, I think I've been to all the other continents, bio Australia, um, and South America is probably next on my list of places to visit. So let's say Brazil. I- I'd join you, I'd join you if it was for Carnival. <laughs> I'd, I'd well, right yeah, I there. was thinking, yeah, yeah I mean, I th- that was one point I was thinking about whether I'd want to go right now or wait till I think it's February, isn't it, where Carnival yeah, yeah. is, it'd probably be, uh, yeah, February would be my preference. Excellent,
0: excellent. Well, Maren, Thank you so much for be, being a guest on the See Me, Be Me podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the experience. And lastly, for the viewers, if they want to follow you on your journey, in terms of social media handles, websites, whatever, where can people follow you on your journey?
2: Um, yes yeah, so, you know the, the best place to probably follow me is uh, linkedin um yeah. because you know I, I i do a lot of kind of networking on there and, and also quite a quite a few posts just in terms of you know events that I'm at and and, and potential deals that I'm looking at as well so i think that's probably the best place to kind of follow me. And as always, you know, I'm very much happy for people to reach out. And, and if anyone wants to have kind of a discussion or even if it's just, you know, what more in depth kind of, you know, what guidance in terms of people who maybe aspire to do the same thing, or just want some advice, then I'm more than happy for people to reach out. Excellent.
0: This has been a, been a really, really great episode. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll see him on a, on a future episode down the line, uh, and see what more exciting deals he's done. Uh, uh, since uh, in the future, You've got last No, now. no, I was just
2: going to say, you know, brilliant. And, and obviously, thank you very much for inviting me on and for the opportunity to come and speak. Um, I really enjoyed it as well. Thanks nice again, awesome. Any
0: Anytime. Apologies, it, take, yeah. it took so long, uh, but we got there. <laughs> we got there again. The
2: <laughs> no worries, no worries. Hate thank us. you anyway. You're back us. in my good books now. you back <laughs> in my good books
1: now. <laughs> <laughs> but Yeah,
0: thanks Cheers. very much, guys. Enjoy the episode. Take care. Bye bye.
1: So thank you again guys for listening to another episode of our See Me Be Me podcast. It was great to have Amaran on, not just because he's uh, my older brother, but also just to hear his experiences in the world of corporate banking. And uh, a little fun fact as well. um, Amaran was a key in terms of getting me my first job when I used to work in uh, corporate banking a few years back. So he helped me get on that ladder into seeing the world of corporate banking for uh, two years. So I've got to really thank him for that. So just a few of my uh, the main takes that I'd like to uh, just go through. And one of the most important aspects of what Aman was talking about was essentially when he was going up the ladder for uh, corporate banking, that importance of being that self-assessment, is essentially. So when he was mentioning when he had a mentor that as the mentee, he was almost like trying to drive that forward for his own development. So he had a goal to get up the ranks um, in the world of corporate banking, to eventually get up to a relationship director but all the things that he needed to learn he had to just make sure that he understood those uh, different dynamics before he was able to essentially get that role within a corporate banking and one of the things that he also stressed was the importance of uh, networking so just going out there and making yourself known and just speak to people about the opportunities that are out there because A lot of of the times when you're um, speaking with people, um, whether that's in the world of business or establishing like relationships and whatnot, opportunities will normally come if people like you or or, should I say, take a liking to you. So it's almost what Amaran was saying is you almost have to be willing to go outside of your comfort zone, essentially, and show people that you are better than the other people around you. It's like where he is now as a lending director when he's trying to do a uh, business and whatnot, um, with these different clients, he likes to be the person that everyone has in the back of their mind. Yeah. It doesn't matter about Marlon and Frederick. Uh, he, he blew me away and whatnot, but that's, that's really important because at the end of the day, if you want to, you have to make sure that you stand out from the crowd, that you, that you almost have like that it factor that people want to talk about. And that's how you essentially sell yourself to the wider market where look at this guy, look what he's doing, look how confident he is. And that's, that's essentially what will get people to invest in you. Not even just in working in a a job, but also if you're running and operating your own business, it's really important to, um, just sell yourself in the right way and, uh, make sure that people, uh, well, take a liking to you. And if you've got an idea make sure that you sell yourself uh, properly and just in general, um, just to close off Amaran is a, um, a big inspiration. I mean, it's like, he was mentioning earlier that in the world of let's say finance and corporate banking, there's not a lot of black people, particularly in greater Manchester who are in the area of finance. So, um, even when I was working with him, uh, in banking as well, We were probably two of the only black faces who were in the office. And for an area as diverse as Greater Manchester, it was quite uh, eye-opening, to be honest. And just the fact that he's one of the, as you mentioned, one of the big trailblazers for showing what is possible for black people to achieve in the world of corporate banking is honestly, it's truly... um, and I'm not just saying it, obviously, because Lamar is my brother, but he's a true inspiration to, to myself and Niall, but not only to myself and Niall, but a lot of younger uh, black people um, around the country are, and showing us essentially or opening our eyes to the world of opportunity that's out, out there for black people in the corporate world. So thank you again for listening to today's uh, podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, uh, you can follow us on The Blair Project on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube at The Blair Project. Or if you want to follow us on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram, we are at Get Me Motoring. And just a final word for myself podcasts will be shooting again next week. So make sure to keep uh, watching our podcast weekly for our next inspiring guest or trailblazer in the world of science technology or business my name is blair henry and once again thanks for listening guys peace out if you've liked today's episode make sure
0: to like comment and subscribe the blair project is all is on all major social media platforms including facebook and linkedin and youtube at the Blair Project. We're also on Instagram, Twitter, and and TikTok. Yes, we are on TikTok at Get Me Motoring. If you'd like to follow myself individually, I am on Instagram at Nile Henry and also LinkedIn uh, at Nile Henry as well.
1: And if you want to follow myself, I'm on Instagram as Blair Henry underscore ninety seven and also on um, LinkedIn as just Blair Henry. So. We look
0: forward to having you on the next episode. So stay tuned. Take care. Until next time.